first of greetings to you and welcome to Happily Ever Teaching, where we help you enthrall your learners in every subject under the sun using the best teaching method known to science, storytelling. To do this, we feature special guest educators who are passionately keen for your children to become amazing and successful human beings. I am storyteller Chip Cahoon, and with me today is... Hi, I'm Helen. I'm currently teaching reception in Year 1 children at a tiny school in Buckinghamshire. Hi, I'm Toria Bono. I'm a Year 4 teacher at a very large junior school, Sixth Form Intake um, in West Sussex, and I'm also the host of the podcast Tiny Voice Talks. And we're all very pleased to have you, our listener, with us as we explore personal, social, health and emotional education with a folktale from Indonesia. So for all the fun and effectiveness of story-led learning, let's don our finest hats, sprinkle some fairy dust and hang tight to our magic carpet as we dive into this week's story. is always hungry because her mother has to cook most of the food on their farm to keep the giant happy. When Tutamu eats the giant's share though, she finds herself on the wrong side of him. The giant roared. There was an ear-splitting rip as the giant snatched the roof off the house. There was a deafening as the giant saw the half-empty cooking pot. And there was a sickening clatter as the giant bashed the kitchen table away. Tutumu looked up terrified and screamed. She thought that there could be nothing as awful as the sight of that giant. Except there was. Tutumu screamed even louder as the giant deftly picked her up, threw her in his mouth and swallowed her down. Tutumu was such a little girl that he didn't need to chew. He just gulped and sent her swiftly down into his tummy. She landed there with a splash. She was now definitely on the wrong side of the giant. The inside. Tutumu cried. It was horrid in the giant's stomach. She was covered in sticky slime. The whole place was wretchedly stinky. And worst of all, she would never see her mummy again. She went to bury her face in her hands. But her tower of hair was so full of slime that it flopped into her hands instead. She almost poked her eye out with her hairpin. Her hairpin. Tutumu gasped as an idea popped into her head. And if you and your young learners want to see if Tutumu's idea helps her get back on the outside of the giant, you can download our sister podcast, Fables and Fairy Tales, or search our website, epictales.co.uk, for The Wrong Side of a Giant. 
There you'll find a video of me telling the story that you can share with your children. And if you sign up as an Epic Educator, you'll also get a copy as an ebook or paperback illustrated by Winnie the Witch's very own Corky Paul, as well as the full audiobook for you to download at any time, and even some tips for telling the story yourself. Right now, though, let's begin our discussion with Helen and Toria here by asking, folks, did this story satisfy your hunger for a good yarn? Yes, I particularly enjoyed this story. I don't know whether it's because I teach younger children or because I like stories with giants in, <laughs> but I'm definitely adding this one to my to my repertoire as a teller again. I think I think it's something about the the fact it had a giant in it. <laughs> giants are definitely uh, big in the early years and, and key stage one, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely. How about you, Toria? Yeah, it was an interesting one actually because I wasn't sure where it was going initially. I hadn't, I couldn't quite figure out where it was going, and I was thinking of key stage two, lower key stage two, upper key stage two. I I really enjoyed this story. I think I would change the language slightly mm. if I was doing it to upper key stage two, but I could see potential for this story in all year groups, and I really liked the outcome. Actually, I thought it was a fabulous outcome. Yeah, I loved I loved the ending, and again, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't sure where it was going, but mm. I thought it had a great ending. Yeah, you should absolutely tell the story in words that are appropriate for your listeners. Mm. Um, the I first heard this story actually uh, from my very good storytelling friend Amy Robinson, who actually helped set up Epic Tales back in 2007, back in the day. Um, she's got a version of it in a book published by Lion Publishing. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly what it's called because um, she's written two of them, you see, and they both have um, the names of heroines because they're both books about heroic female characters. But search for Amy Robinson, search for Lion Publishing, and you will get um, her two books come up, um, which are full of tales like Tutamu, um, where the the girl basically is the the hero the winner and <laughs> you know you, you'll probably find that those are more suitable for um the ages uh eight up until 11 um mm. this version that we've got on epic tales it's hopefully suitable for the entire primary range from four all the way up to 11 but it does work best it absolutely does work best if rather than just reading the book um word for word to your young learners, you are actually reading it yourself and then retelling it for them. That's what we'd always encourage you to do. And I think that's really important. Mm. I think, you know, to engage, definitely to engage Upper Key Stage 2 in stories, it's about fully embodying that story and mm. retelling it in that way, in language that they will be able to relate to without losing the essence of the story. And I think, you know, it's it's scary sometimes as an educator to take on that role of the storyteller. Mm. But I do believe that anyone that stands in front of a class day in, day out has has that, you know, that true storyteller within them. Absolutely. Yeah, we've, we're certainly behind you on that one, Toria. And, you know, the great thing about a story like this, where it's got so many refrains and, you know, we keep coming back to the, the pattern of mm. the story, which is there to build up to uh, Tutamu finally deciding to taste the stew and the giant finally deciding to, to eat her. Um, all of this allows you to actually 
vary the language as you go. Um, a lot of the stuff that we'll do in, in real time when we're performing it, we will begin with a language level that is suitable for, I suppose you could say, the lowest common denominator, although I absolutely hate using that term. It's the kind of language that everyone is going to be able to get on track with whether they are you know 11 years old or, or four but as you go along whenever you come back to those refrains raise the language level because mm -hmm. as you do that you will never have children putting up their hand to ask you what you mean because they can already picture it they've already been able to see it in their mind and all they're doing is taking these bigger words if you like and and putting that higher level vocabulary as a label onto what they are already seeing in the world around them. I think we've um, talked about this before, but the way in which storytelling is is a fantastic way to introduce complicated vocabulary to the younger children yeah. as well as the older children, mm. because it's in that context. And sometimes the children will say, what's that mean? Um, if they're particularly on the ball. <laughs> um, but sometimes they'll just absorb that word for another day, you know, the younger ones. So good way to introduce the vocabulary to them. They'll say, what does that mean? Often, if you haven't um, had the opportunity to set the tone, introduce the word almost before the word arrives. Um, and one of the dangers uh, of reading aloud to children is when, when it's a book that you know, it is, isn't your own writing or you haven't been able to internalise the story yet, is that, you know, it can lead to moments like that because the author isn't always um, writing in a way that is meant to draw children up to that level. They're writing in a way that is for that level. So if you do internalise the story a little bit, like you were saying, Toria, um, and you can do this with chapter books as well. You can um, take a, an individual chapter and retell it in a way that will draw in all of the children that you've got in front of you, because no one knows your children better than you do. It doesn't matter whether they're um, Michael Morpogo or Michael Rosen, you know your children better than anybody else. Um, so you'll be able to bring them into that story and then sort of set up the words, set up the vocabulary for when they get to them. We've, we've sort of jumped ahead almost into our English episode, haven't we? Yes, we have. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I, I kind of feel them. We're like, maybe we should stick with the English for now and um, we'll, we'll come back to the PSHE tomorrow. Just break from tradition a little bit. Oh, why not? So um, why, don't we, why don't we look at some of the English learning outcomes that you have um, uncovered in the story? Um, Helen, what have you found for our younger ages, four to seven? Well, I think um, I mentioned already that I love this story because it has a giant in. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I've, I thought this would be a really good opportunity to do like a mini project with the earlier years around giants in stories. Mm -hmm. um, starting with this story, of course, um, something I liked about this story was the way the giant changed at the, at the end of the story, which mm -hmm. was maybe slightly surprising. So you could do a bit of prediction if you wanted to do it that way before telling the ending of the story, predict what might happen. And then you could spend a while looking at different stories of giants in, um, and what giants are usually like. And is there a stereotype of giants? Um, mm. And because this, this story particularly doesn't mention what the giant looks like, could, they, could you use other stories and other illustrations to come up with what this giant might look like? I thought there was so much opportunity in this story. You could do lots of retelling of stories with giants in. Children can create their own giants characters to put in their own stories uh -huh. all based on this this giant in this story and is their giant going to be a, a good giant a bad giant a giant that changes so yes i thought that would be sort of quite a project you could do rather than a one-off lesson yeah. <laughs> you could do 
a lot of learning uh, using this story around around giants and what giants are like in in storytelling literally a giant project literally a giant project <laughs> especially when the children are very small fab and if you if you wanted to take the upper level um you could maybe do this with your um seven-year-olds i don't know definitely you could do this with with your groups toria um that book that i've already mentioned um that amy's written with her version of this tale she's stuck more to the traditional version of the tale in which tutamu does actually dig herself out from the giant with her hairpin um, <laughs> oh. it is very much our fair trade fortnight version that has the giant survive yeah. and end up helping out on the on the farm um so, so do be aware of that if you uh, if you are um looking out for the traditional version of this tale when preparing your own telling but yeah and certainly when you get to um old years i think you could look at them side by side and, and compare them couldn't you the the way the way they end and then of, and then of course um if you if you take that approach then the children could come up with maybe a third ending yeah completely oh, yes. Got yeah. this ending this ending what would your ending be um which again would probably be sort of year two year two onwards beautiful um, and then i had one other one other descriptive activity Mm -hmm. And that was to do with being inside a giant's stomach. Um, I have no idea what it's like inside a giant's stomach. I've never been in one. No? I thought this would be a really good opportunity for children to imagine that. And you can take it as far as you wanted to, in order to help, help their descriptive vocabulary and and all of all of those things. Um, you could turn an area of your classroom into the inside of a giant's stomach. Um, <laughs> this could be a whole art project. You know, you can take this as far as you like. You can either you can either just you can do the, the let's draw a picture of it, or you can do a let's create the inside of a giant stomach. Um, I've kind of got visions of arranging tables around and putting paper up on them <laughs> and creating creating the inside of the giant stomach and maybe having something over the top as well. Mm. And then the children going into the stomach and um, imagine what it's like. That would be a beautiful multi-sensory area, wouldn't it? Um, if, if you do try this and you want to get the smell right, uh, something that we've used <laughs> in theatre shows before, you, you know those little um, cheese graters that come with uh, a box that you, you sort of, grate the cheese oh, yes. into the box so it's like yeah. the lid yeah exactly yeah um we'll do that get a really stinky cheese and grate it into that box and then just leave it in your classroom in in this particular area overnight and when they come in they will be smelling like they are in a or, or, or sniffing out that they are in a giant stomach as well there's a really good um science link as well there with the, with the early years and key stage one there's there's a whole objective around using your senses mm. there you could bring in what it smells like, what it sounds like inside the giant stomach and um, all the other senses and bring that into into the writing as well and their descriptive language. Yeah, absolutely. The final the final little one I had, um, again, this is probably more key stage one than early years. Okay. But I always say with anything, you can absolutely approach it with early years, just be prepared to do the writing yourself, do the model writing instead of asking the children to do hmm. it. But I thought you could do a bit of letter writing from, from the giant, explaining how he's going to be a better landlord to... <laughs> to the Aww. characters in the story just to get that um a bit of empathy in there and and writing from someone's viewpoint yeah i love the idea also of helping children to understand what a landlord is because uh, that's that's a word they might hear their parents tossing around every so often with without much knowledge of what's going on and it's true yeah all the responsibilities the giant has as a landlord <laughs> <laughs>
Excellent. So I, I imagine there's a lot there, Toria, that you could take up uh, to ages seven to 11. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. Some of the things that Helen has mentioned, I had written down <laughs> for, you know, Key Sage 2. So Grand. I too am slightly obsessed about what the inside of a giant stomach must look like. <laughs> but, you know, so I thought they could describe it, but then take it one step further. And you could do rather like a David Attenborough sort of, you know, recording of you know now i'm inside oh, a giant stomach and this is what it, and actually just developing it in that way so that they are writing from the point of view of engaging a viewer mm -hmm. and then you could actually Great record idea. it so that you know and, and and i just i thought that way when children are doing that sort of thing they're really conscious of their audience and i think in key stage two you're really trying to up that understanding for children the whole time of the purpose and the audience when they are writing and I think this would give a really good purpose audience you know link for the children mm. um also you know that compare and contrast you know I absolutely would do that in key, key stage two the, the comparing the three the two stories contrasting them what's similar what's different and then rewriting their own mm. I think it's a great idea Another thing that I put down was viewpoint. I'm always really interested in viewpoint because I think it's really easy to look at the viewpoint of Tutumu, but actually what about the viewpoint of the giant? What about the viewpoint of the mother? You know, mm. was was the giant acting badly in the story or was he just not aware of his actions and the impact on others? Ooh. Um, and I think that's really important because I think we often, children often empathize with the the good characters within the story, yeah. but actually are the bad characters bad because they are innately bad or are they bad because they just don't know any better? And actually what I think is interesting about this story is that once the giant realized there was an alternate way to behave, he latched onto he it. chose yeah. to behave that way. Mm. So I think that, that you know, actually unpicking that viewpoint and i think for i think i would love to see some year six writing on view, you know the viewpoint of the giant from the beginning yeah. actually how did he view the whole thing initially did he view it that he was pulling the roof off and, and grabbing you know or or did he just see it as payment for his you know use of his land yeah Those, absolutely um, almost rewrite the story from point of view of the yes, giant so take completely. The, the exact same events but from the point of view of the giant mm. and actually yeah. help help the reader to see yeah see that the giant might just be a bit misunderstood <laughs> and i also wonder about mum's point of view you know how did yeah. mum view the whole thing because she was coming you know it often said she came home and she'd find tutumu under the table but i i i have i did think when i was reading that well i wonder what mum thought about why she was under the table what did she think had caused her to be under the table did she think that she was mucking around while she was away because you know it was just an interesting one as to you know how did mum yeah. view everything because when she sees the the giant's got tutamu inside her she doesn't scream or panic she no. goes she sort of goes into ultimate mother mode doesn't she and, yeah. and performs the horizontal version of the heimlich maneuver on him so <laughs> it does so yeah i think there are so many things that could be done there but i think you know empathy for me mm. is such a big one with stories because you know science shows that the best way to develop children's empathy is absolutely through, through storytelling know, through stories yeah. and i think 
really focusing on that within English for the um, key stage two, really vital. But I would, uh, yeah, I've got to say that I would personally want to role play areas as well in my key stage <laughs> two classroom, you know, devoted to the inside of the stomach. Yeah, we, we can't <laughs> let um, your years four to seven have the, the, the whole of the, the role play area. Sorry, Helen, we've, we've got to we've got to let that go up as well. Absolutely. That's, everyone deserves to have the inside of a giant stomach. Absolutely. <laughs> You you mentioned there, Tori, about how um, children em- empathise with the the heroic character in a story, mm. but I, I think this is actually a bit of a storyteller's trick. I think we tend to empathise with the narrator character, the, the the viewpoint character, the one who is telling the yes. story, or in in this case, because it's third person, um, the one who we're following the story with. Um, so yeah, absolutely. If you were to tell it from a different point of view, it could become a very different story. You know, maybe in a way for the giant. Tutumu and her mother are a nuisance. Maybe they're even villains. You know, it's it, it's really down to the person who's telling the story. Um, you're so, almost manipulating emotions, really, and and you're helping children, I think, to understand the importance of viewpoint by sharing it around like that. Mm, absolutely. And I think, you know, the other thing that I would say is how you could develop inference within um, Key Stage 2, because I think inference is really hard. And and although I hate mentioning SATs, SATs questions at the end of year six are always a nightmare because they say, how does this character feel? Mm. And actually children often, often refer to how they are thinking but they aren't discussing how they are feeling and the reason they think that. And I'd be really interested to ask the children, how was Tutumu feeling? And I wonder how many of them would respond, she's feeling hungry. Yeah, yeah. And actually really bringing that back and unpicking that back to actually how is she feeling throughout this story and looking at the various different points throughout the story and developing children's understanding of feeling based on the story they're in. Because the other thing that I found, especially recently with um year fours is that when I say to them how they're f- how are they feeling so we might I might read the, the entire story then I'll say well how is Tutumi feeling um at the you know in the beginning of the story and they will actually give me the answer based on the entire story mm. as opposed to the aspect that they I am asking them about. Now I think when it comes to you know again year six sats what happens is children are asked to read the entire text and then are asked questions which are actually quite specific to mm. certain areas of of the text. Now, if they are thinking about that text as a whole, it they will naturally then give the wrong answer, you know. But I think that's something that I've really discovered that I need to develop within mm. the children that understanding of inference and that understanding of inference in that moment in the story. And that's something that, again, if you're um, beginning to look at a story through storytelling, you can do quite a lot just by pausing the story and yeah. finding out, you know, what the children are thinking and feeling in that moment, what they think the, yeah. Yeah. the characters are thinking and feeling. Um, which again is so much easier if you're able to go through it in your own words and in a language that you know is taking your children up a level. I, I love the fact that um, we, we're only on the, the first podcast of this two-week cycle and um, we've <laughs> yeah. already started to refer to a couple of things that I think Pi was talking about, Pi Corbett, in your recent mm. episode of Tiny Voice Talks. Yeah. So we've mentioned making sure that children have a purpose, not just mm-hmm. for their writing, but for their reading as well. And actually, uh, on that 
topic, we I, I did say, didn't I, that the way that we've told the story here at Epic Tales is to link it to Fair Trade Fortnite. Um, and I wonder whether you could take some other giant stories, and, and th- this is something that I think, again, is, is for both of you, for, for both ends of the school, um, take some other giant stories and think about how you could rewrite them to have a Fair Trade Fortnite theme yeah. or, or even just to, ha- to have any theme, but, but you know, trying to change a story by theme. Because we, we talk a lot about changing stories for different settings, different characters, etc., e- even different viewpoints. Mm. But changing it for a different theme is a, is a new challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. It's completely, it turns everything on its head when you say to children, right, I want you to write this story, but from the point of view of fair trade fortnight, so that people are actually learning about, you know, the importance of sharing, etc. And I think then children are coming to the story from a completely different perspective, you know, something like, you know, three little pigs done from the point of view of fair trade fortnight, that would be quite interesting, you Mm. know. Um, And I think for definitely, for key stage two, that would stretch them. I was trying to think of the Jack and the Beanstalk um, story yeah. and how that could actually, that involves, you know, gold and, yeah. <laughs> and money and, and getting riches. So that would be a good one, I think, to try and reframe for Fair Trade Fortnite. Yeah. I mean, I suppose Jack, in the end, in most versions of the story, Jack does get the riches, but it's whether whether he should have got the riches that way or whether he can share the riches out. And whether it was fair of him to then chop the beanstalk and let the giant come tumbling all the way down to a miserable broken neck. Yeah. Is that the right attitude to have when you've just got all your heart desires, well, I don't know. When you've just stolen from from a giant. <laughs> I mean, it's not his fault that he, he fancied a, a bit of Englishman for his tea. Not his fault, absolutely. And again, going back to the, <laughs> the theme of being a bit more empathetic with the giants of, of the fairy yeah. tale world. Absolutely. And, and going back to the science as well of, you know, and th- this is how giants have evolved. They have evolved to yeah. eat human meat. So, you know, yeah, can we blame them for that? Carnivore, herbivores and omnivores <laughs> read in the key stage one <laughs> science curriculum. So that's a whole other conversation. Which is the other thing that Pi talked about on your podcast, Tori, uh, about making sure that reading isn't just reserved for English. It's it's there in every subject. And I think that's absolutely vital. It really is. Because, you know, I think I touched on this um, with him, the, the fact that, you know, what the EEF have found recently is that disciplinary literacy is a real issue going into secondary mm-hmm. schools because, you know, secondary students have learnt to read within English lessons, but have not necessarily learnt to read science texts. They've not necessarily learnt to read geographic texts yeah. and so yeah. on, or, and, or write them. So actually, you know, it, I think there are so many things. We t- It's interesting when we're talking about splitting these things into English, geography, etc., because actually I think some of the links that we'll probably be talking about later would, would absolutely allow children... Um, young people to develop that disciplinary literacy within other subjects. And I think that's something that as educators, we've got to be aware of because at the moment, we're not equipping them well enough for secondary education. Mm. We're equipping them very well for the English lessons. Yeah, for SATs. But I think, (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) I think many people focus on that, which is, which I think is really sad because then what happens is they are not aware of some if we go to science text, science texts are written entirely differently to mm. English texts. And yet they're not able, what then happens is they go into secondary 
and they're not sure how to access them. I think you've sneakily hit upon our ulterior motive with this podcast. You know, we we do split it up into separate episodes. We've got one later on science, but we can guarantee Mm. that when we get there, we're going to be talking about language and bringing it back to some writing that they could be doing. And um, I hope that's what folks are doing with this podcast. They're coming in one way and finding that all of the doors are open, literally. Yeah. And as you said, you know, PyCorp himself, after six years of research, what they have found is that it's absolutely vital if schools are to teach reading well, it's absolutely vital that it is taught across mm-hmm. the curriculum. And spoken about yeah. first, taught. Yeah. Yes, definitely. There's a reason why talked and taught sound so similar. That's all we have time for today, folks. If you try out any of these ideas, or if you'd like us to help you teach a topic you are soon to cover with your young learners, please let us know on social media using at teachhappily, or leave us a review using your favourite podcast app. Please also share this podcast with your colleagues and help us start a story-led revolution in classrooms around the world, so children everywhere can learn in a way that's effective, memorable, and enjoyable all at the same time. Now, we were going to be doing PSHE today, as you heard me say at the beginning, but we've ended up doing English. So tomorrow, Tutamu and the Giant will help us teach personal, social, health and emotional education. But right now, it only remains for us to say cheerio, and we hope to hear your story soon. So, cheerio! And we hope to hear your story soon!